Listening to the iHeartRadio Talk Network, and this is the Evan Solomon Show. Happy Wednesday, Canada. How's everybody doing? I just got back from Canada's War Memorial, where I was watching Prince Charles and the Duchess of Cornwall pay their respects to Canada's war dead. The men and women who have served our country at the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier as well. The crowds were about three, four people deep, and maybe at times five people deep on the east and west side of the War Memorial. Uh, There was a red carpet. It was a brief visit. Then uh, Prince Charles and and the Duchess went in their, uh, their motorcade to visit a Ukrainian cathedral where they are now a church or Ukrainian church here in Ottawa, and then they will be going uh, to downtown Ottawa later. This is a very short three-day visit. And so throughout our program today, we will have live coverage. I mean, we're going to have lots on the program. We've got the war room standing by, and there's lots on it. But weaving in and out of the program today, because a stone's throw from my studio here, the future king, now Prince Charles, is in our city, and why not just get an update since we know where he is? And I literally was watching him live within the last 45 minutes, and now he is exiting a uh, Ukrainian church with uh, the Duchess and speaking to people with those words, and he will be tour. And we have got one of our temporary producers today, Andy Pinson is going to join us. He is in the market, and he is going to give us some live reports on Prince Charles. How close can he get? How close? I don't know. I couldn't get that close. But Andrew Pinson, who, by the way, hosts CFRA Live on News Talk uh, 580 CFRA in Ottawa on the weekends. Uh, we'll try to push Andy to to get closer. See what he can hear. See what he can sense here. A royal reporting live. They're, they're, they're about uh, 500 meters away from our studio. So uh, we'll give you live updates on that. And if, if throughout this coverage you feel you need to say something about Prince Charles and the royals. It's funny. Last night, people were – I was stopped on a number of occasions – There was a political event called Politics and the Pen, which is um, the Writers uh, Guild of Canada supports writers, and it gives a prize for the best nonfiction political book in Canada. And there's an award, and it's a good award. It's named after Shaughnessy Cohen. You probably don't know who Shaughnessy Cohen is. Shaughnessy Cohen was an MP from Windsor under Jean Chrétien, who was there last night for the politics of the pen from the Writers' Trust of Canada. I think I said Writers' Guild, and then Writers' Trust of Canada. And sadly, tragically, one day in the House of Commons, Shaughnessy Cohen, at the age of 50, was giving a speech, and, and she died right on the floor of the House of Commons while giving a speech. It was a brain hemorrhage. And uh, the lawyer and the professor and the politician, Shaughnessy Cohen, 
uh, is memorialized in one way, not only by the Shaughnessy Cohen Prize for Best Nonfiction Writing, and I'll tell you who won in a moment, but Susan Delacourt, very well-known journalist on Parliament Hill, actually wrote a, a wonderful book about Shaughnessy Cohen. Um, so anyway, at the event last night, where all the authors were, and many politicians were, former governor generals like uh, David Johnston and Sharon Johnson, his wife, were there, and and the Speaker of the House was there, and, and former Prime Ministers like Joe Clark were there, uh, and others, MPs from all stripes. The winner, by the way, was a, a writer named Joanna Chu. She writes for the Star. She wrote a book called China Unbound, A New World Disorder. She's done remarkable coverage of China, and she won um, $25,000 for a book about the, th- the new world disorder, the threat that is uh, from China. Remarkable. So anyway, but at that event, what was interesting was people had very divergent views. Put me on your show. I want to say something about why the monarchy should be ditched. Why we need to ditch the monarchy. Oh, okay. If you, if you want. I mean, people are very polarized. People said, this is crazy. Stop saying that. This is not the time to talk about ditching the monarchy. And then others were, were very, very adamant that um, the monarchy must be and ought to be ditched as as quickly as possible. So it was kind of interesting. So if you want to weigh in on that as we weave in our coverage of Prince Charles, who is now at the uh, Ukrainian Cathedral, uh, let me know, 71010, your, your thoughts on the monarchy on this brief visit. But as I was there, I was thinking about the Consumer Price Index, which measures inflation. And inflation, again, inflation, as if you didn't know, rose to 6.8%. The highest since January of 1991, when it was only when it was 6.9%. So you look at the consumer price index, and inflation is everywhere. What has gone up on inflation? I'll tell you. Well, you know, food. Up. Groceries, up. Car prices, up. Gas prices averaging over two bucks. Everything is up. You want to find a place to live? Up. So you got food up 8.8% compared to last year. Food up eight, like 9%. This is unbelievable. That's the largest increase since the 1980s, the early 80s, 1981, 40 years ago. You want to go to a restaurant, you're paying 65 6.6% more. You want to buy some fresh fruit, 10% more. You want to buy vegetables, 8% more. You want to buy some meat, 10% more. You want to buy some bread, 122 more. You want to eat pasta, almost 20%. You want to eat some rice, Seven and a half percent. Why? Obviously the war. Drought. Bad weather. Cost of living. Gas is up 22 and a half percent. Other fuels, 64 per 64 percent. Cost of living up 7.4 percent. These are these are killer numbers. Killer numbers. 
blame for this? This is a fascinating moment. These are killer numbers. If you are struggling, as most people are, to pay your bills, there is an invisible hand in your pocket robbing you blind. That's what inflation is. It is the invisible thief. Your money is disappearing. The power of the... Now, there's all sorts of diagnoses. Was it the Bank of Canada printing money? That's contributes. They'll admit it. There's inflationary pressure. Is that the only cause? No. Is it part of it? Sure. Now, interest rates going up are going to cool things like housing prices. It's already happened. But here's what's remarkable. You've got two weeks left, basically, in the election in Ontario. And Doug Ford is looks like he's going to win. You don't ever make predictions, but he's certainly the front runner. And there'll be new numbers out this afternoon from Nick Nanos. But, you know, you're presiding over a province with, you know, record inflation, record gas prices, record food prices, shelter prices, housing shortages, uh, a very mixed review on the pandemic. And he's going to romp to victory. That's my prediction. Like, that's what he will do. Who knows? I mean, you'll see the race. He's ahead now. Not getting blamed for it. Remarkable, right? Jason Kenney could be ousted from his leadership tonight for all sorts of other reasons. The point is, politicians cannot just blame the war or blame supply chain. Eventually, people are electing you politicians to have some answers. Now, I'm going to take a break. Um, We're going to try to get uh, more on the uh, royal tour. But coming up next... Did the Ottawa, did anyone, did any police force ever ask the federal government for the Emergencies Act? We'll find out next. As this story changes, we react. This is the Evan Solomon Show. The Liberal government is moving to ban Russians who were sanctioned over the invasion of Moscow. There's over a thousand of them. They've now tabled uh, federal legislation to the immigration law to amend it to say that foreign nationals who are sanctioned should not be allowed to come to Canada and the Border Service Agency can deny entry to them and remove them if they try. But even as the Canadian government is slapping restrictions on Russians, they are under scrutiny for restrictions they slapped on supporters of the trucker protest. Yesterday, at a committee, you should know that Ottawa's interim police chief, Steve Bell, was asked, did the police request the use of the Emergencies Act? And here's what he said. Did the Ottawa police make a request to the federal government to invoke the Emergencies Measures Act, yes or no? So we were involved in conversations with our partners and with the political um, the political ministries. Uh, we didn't make a direct request uh, for the Emergencies Act. So, by the way, last week, the RCMP, Brenda Lucky, the commissioner said, we didn't either. So I asked Marco Mendicino, the Minister of Public Safety, who's in charge of this file, about both of those things. And I started by asking him about Russia. And I said, um, any progress seizing assets belonging to oligarchs, selling them and, and using funds to help Ukraine? That had been a promise. Any progress on the idea of seizing assets belonging to oligarchs, selling them and using the funds to help Ukraine? 
Uh, I think that's an extremely uh, important uh, question and work that is being undertaken by uh, various colleagues uh, in government, including Minister Jolie uh, and others, uh, will uh, get to the bottom of that. Uh, what is important is that today we're making sure that those individuals who have been previously identified and sanctioned economically uh, will no longer be able to come to Canada. And this is important, Evan. It's important because, uh, one, uh, Mr. Putin and those who support his regime have to be held accountable for the brutal and vicious attacks and their illegal invasion into Ukraine. The Prime Minister was just there. Uh, he had an opportunity to see with his own eyes the war crimes that are being committed. This is another way which we assure sure. accountability and support for Ukraine. Okay, but j just last thing on this. So if somebody came, if one of these 1,000 sanctioned individuals came to Canada, would they be arrested at the border by border services? Are they turned away? Um, if, if, they're, if they're criminal enough to be sanctioned, are they criminal enough to be held? Um, they can be detained by CBSA and then subsequently deported. And that's another reason why um, making sure that the law does not allow for the unintended consequence of somebody who is economically sanctioned uh, to be permitted any kind of safe haven in Canada. And today's uh, law change will ensure that that does not happen. And again, it's a very concrete, demonstrable step in which we're showing support for Ukraine at this critical juncture. Minister, at the Parliamentary Committee today, the interim police chief in Ottawa said he did not, and he, the police service did not specifically ask for the Emergency Act to be invoked. So the RCMP Commissioner, Brenda Lucky, said she did not ask. You said, I, I, I want to be clear here, in Parliament, you said that the federal government had been supporting police before the Emergencies Act, but you sort of had inferred that... Um, you had consulted with them. Did any police service, the RCMP, the OPP, um, uh, or the um, Ottawa police, ever say to any member of you or any member of the government, the existing laws are not good enough, we need more help legally? Uh, we didn't sort of infer. Uh, we were very clear that we did consult law enforcement and law enforcement, both the commissioner of the RCMP and interim chief Bell and his predecessor, Chief Slowly, uh, have said the same thing. There was a conversation. There was an exchange of ideas. The government sought the advice of law enforcement prior to invoking the Emergencies Act with specific guidance sought on the kinds of measures that would help restore public safety. And Commissioner Lucky uh, provided numerous examples of that in her testimony, including, for example, at Coots, where, as you know, Evan, there were a number of individuals who were charged with serious offenses involving guns and conspiracy to commit murder. They were challenged at the time because they could not get access to tow trucks. Um, we addressed that in the Emergencies Act. And, you know, subsequent to but, that, I think a law but, enforcement but, but, clear that the, but, that but, the Emergencies Act helped to restore public, public safety. Okay, but, but I, I think this is important, though. I, I just want people to understand that. In Parliament, you had said, this is on the debate, you admitted that supporting police was happening before the Emergencies Act. On February 17th, you said, since day one, the federal government has done everything it could do to provide additional resources. The RCMP has, set, has sent three sets of reinforcements to the Ottawa police. In other words, the government was already sending support before the Emergencies Act, support was coming 
the Emergencies Act is there because law, so it's not about do they have enough support, can they get enough tow trucks, it's about do they need new laws. Did any, did the RCMP, the OPP or the Ottawa police ever say, it's not support we need, we need new laws. Did anyone ever say that to you or any member of your government? Evan, it's right there in the letter of the Canadian Association of the Chiefs of Police who said that the invocation of the Emergencies Act addressed unintended legislative gaps, the words of professional, nonpartisan law enforcement, whose opinion uh, we obviously place great stock in. Now, the decision to invoke the Emergencies Act was ultimately the government's. Uh, but the strong consensus that has emerged from law enforcement was that this was a tool that was used as a last resort to restore public safety in the face of an, again, I'm quoting from the letter from the Canadian Association of Chiefs of Police, was an unprecedented act of civil disobedience. By unprecedented, they mean never in the history of this country. I know, but I just this is just important uh, because the police say they never asked for the use. This is important because if they're not asking for the Emergencies Act, and on February 24th you said we made the decision to end uh, the use of the Emergencies Act in consultation with law, I understand that. It, you consult it, but did, again, any member of these police forces say we need the use of the Emergencies Act? If they don't ask for it, why should the federal government then invoke it? They're not asking for it. They've said they didn't ask for it. Why invoke it? Um, well, the operative word in your question is consult. And as you've heard from the commissioner of the RCMP, the interim uh, chief of police for the Ottawa Police Service, uh, the government responsibly and proactively reached out to law enforcement to seek their advice prior to taking the unprecedented decision of invoking the Emergencies Act in the face of an unprecedented public order emergency. Right. That's what matters to Canadians is we didn't take this decision in a vacuum. We didn't politicize this. We went to people, professionals who are nonpartisan, to seek their advice on how to restore public safety. But they did now. I understand it. But 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 if they normally the advice is say hey we're in a real jam uh, we need new laws invoke the emergencies act but they're saying they didn't ask for it but just last well, thing in order right. to clear up this is really vital right. our will yeah. again and i've asked you this before in yeah. the investigation will justice rouleau have access to all the classified and cabinet documents so he or canadians can see exactly what the police forces said to you and the cabinet yeah, a couple things first, and I'm sorry for interrupting earlier, but I want to make sure it's clear that the then Ottawa police chief slowly had said at one point early in the um, blockades and occupation that he didn't think that there was even going to be a policing solution to this. So uh, we were obviously very cognizant of that statement, along with uh, the real-time facts that this was an unprecedented public order emergency. But to your latter point around Judge Rouleau, of course, an independent public inquiry gives him uh, robust powers to get access to witness, to information, to documents. We contemplate uh, some of that will be classified and right. sensitive information, and we'll cooperate with him to ensure transparency. Okay, that is Marco Mendicino, the Minister of Public Safety. Look, you know, I got. I'm like a dog with a bone on this. I do think we need some answers on why we had the Emergencies Act, why the government used it. We do need straight answers. We do need to see those documents. And we need to know how this works.
and why police forces didn't request it, but say they needed it. Uh, and we'll keep pressing on that. Uh, inflation is at a record-setting pace. Amanda Lang's going to drop by to find out how long this is going to last, what is driving this, and cut through the BS, and maybe save you some money. That's next. Talking to the newsmakers every day. The conversation continues with Evan Solomon. Welcome back to the big show here. Uh, Yes, day two of the Royal Tour continues. Prince Charles has just left the Ukrainian church in Ottawa, and he is on his way downtown to what's called the market, the Byward Market. And he's going to meet the mayor there. And our own Andy Pinson is going to be there, and so we'll cover that live. As the future king, now Prince Charles and his wife, the Duchess of Cornwall, will make their way to probably have a beaver tail. Who knows? Um, so we'll stand by to take that live. Amanda Lang, though, is here, the BNN Bloomberg anchor of Taking Stock, which is a great podcast on uh, Bell Media Networks like uh, BNN, CTV, uh, CP24, and CTV News Channel. And, you know, basically, I wish I brought Amanda on, who's one of the great people in this world, to talk about good news. But I, I, I always ask her, Amanda, it's um, inflation's at 6.8%, groceries are up, food's up, shelter's up, everyone's pissed off. Can you talk about it? And she's going, yeah. Thanks, pal. <laughs> how, how you doing? It's good like bad, bad news Lang coming up. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry. It, it's not her, folks. It's, how, how are, oh by God. the way, are you before, let's, let's not do inflation, Lang. Let's yeah. first talk about royals. Um, do you get excited when someone like Prince Charles and the Duchess comes, or is it kind of like new? Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of I'm kind of neutral to be honest. I'm not not excited. I can see the appeal. Um, I like the historic reference of it all, but uh, you know, I won't wouldn't be lining up. I don't line up for much to be honest, but I wouldn't be lining up to see them. I uh, uh, I went out to the War Memorial to see them today. I just watched uh, them because you know it's literally two minutes from my office. Yeah, and and I always like to see things. I more than anything, I like to see the reaction to the crowd. It was not a feverishly large crowd. It was some. I just don't know if there's going to be a Prince Charles mania here. I I think this is going to be a reign, whatever happens after Queen Elizabeth. That uh, I don't think people are overly excited about because he's been yeah. waiting. You know, you know, because of the, what happened with Princess Diana and and. You know, he just doesn't have the novelty factor. Yeah, I mean, let's not let's remember too that it's a bit of a it's a bit anachronistic anyway for all of us. But for for immigrants to this country, uh, and that's all of us, <laughs> it gets every year it gets a bit weirder, right? You're in charge. Why? Who are you again? You're from what country? Uh, so the monarchy, I guess, the more we increase relation with new Canadians, the less it's probably unless we bring them all from Commonwealth countries. Uh, it's going to have less and less kind of gripping hold. Here's here's my pitch for Charles. You tell me about this. Speaking of Amanda Lang, before we get to inflation at six point eight percent, people don't like him because of the Princess Diana thing, right? Yes, she's yes. the icon. He's the bad guy. He was always in love with another, and you know, as Diana said, there's a third person in our marriage, and it was Camilla. And now people don't like it. But right. here's my thing: he marries Diana. They obviously were not in love. Like many people that get a divorce, they have two kids, and yet after that. He stays with the woman he's loved since he was young. The woman he always clearly loved. 
this is a love story. He ends up marrying oh. her. They've been together for what, like twenty odd years now. He's madly in love with her. He always was. This guy's like an incurable romantic, and he's married the woman he always loved, even when he kind of did the you know the perfect marriage. He still loved Camilla. He even yeah. went back to Camilla. Why don't people like the fact that this guy's a romantic? I mean, I like your live and let live attitude that underpins that sentiment. Um, and I don't disagree. People should, you know, find their happiness. The problem for Charles, of course, and Camilla, uh, is that the third party died tragically way too young, probably hounded by all of the elements that were making her life miserable from the royal family in the first place. So it's a bit of a the Shakespearean element to what happened to Diana. I know, but he falls in love with the love. Anyway, anyway, I'm trying to find a silver lining <laughs> there, Charles. So I am on the show, though. Yeah, give me some. Bro- uh, what's inflation? If I hear one more inflation number from the, the Consumer Price Index, this is higher than experts thought. OK, experts, take a back seat for a second. What is going on yeah. here? I mean, you and I weren't even in middle school the last time we saw inflation at these levels. So this is new for a lot of people. Uh, It is, of course, as we know, driven by global forces at play. Uh, I'll tell you a a thought I had today. I'm going to share this with you. Uh, It's a brand new thought, so bear with me. But people keep talking about affordability and what can politicians do. Well, politicians actually have a really simple lever on helping people with money, right? It's leave it in their hands. Uh, don't tax us or tax us less. How about this, Evan? Why is the gas tax not actually marginal? Why is it that once gas passes a certain price per liter, the tax on it starts to decline? Why does the government get a windfall on gas prices? Because it turns out, you've probably been seeing the same stuff I've seen, you would expect people to stop doing things when it gets more expensive. Yes. Uh, but we don't stop driving because it turns out we need to drive. So even $2 a liter, there we are getting in our cars. I'm here to say the government made plenty of money on the taxes when it was a buck fifty a liter. Why is that next 50 cents just a windfall to them? Leave it in our hands. And that would be so like easy it. for them to do. Isn't that a good idea? It's not peer-reviewed or anything. But I thought of it this morning, and I'm like, dude. And you could apply that to all kinds of things. There's no reason why they should take more simply because the price of something has gone up. And P.S., I would, I would apply that to houses as well. Property taxes could be a lot smarter, too. So this, is, this is kind of an interesting thing. So I want so Amanda Lang explaining it significantly better than most people. But here's what, just to give the background, there are things in economics that are prices that are either elastic or non-elastic. Elastic means when the price goes up, you stop doing it. Like, yep. you know, cigarettes, you know, price goes going up. Going to a Raptors game. Going to a Raptors game. I can't afford it. So, Too you know, it, I get, but some things are non-elastic. I got to drive to work. So I got to drive to work. So you go and that, and you got to use your car. Turns out, as Amanda says, people are going to drive, whether it's two bucks a liter or not. It's not, it's maybe it's non-elastic, but the government is reaping huge rewards on the gas tax. So maybe they say, you know what? We've made our cash. We're sticking it back in your pocket. Now, would you say the same for the carbon tax, which is about 11 to 13 cents? So you, there you're getting into a different policy tool that's aimed at something else. They are trying to make us stop using it. So I would say if you want to, I don't want to fight that fight or make it about that, leave that alone. The excise tax alone on gas. But I was thinking this morning, Evan, it gets complicated when you get into a bunch of different things. But why isn't the HST similarly capped off at some level? If the government has made whatever it's supposed to make, quote unquote, from a tax, why can't the tax decline? They shouldn't make more just because it got more expensive for us. And if anything, it should be the opposite. 
So you're you're smart and naive in a way that I we all are smart and naive. Smart in the way it actually makes sense. And this was the way government should work. Don't just take the money from us, help us. But right. naive because we're all naive that governments would actually act rationally and turn down money. They never they turn down revenue. It, they never is, turn down revenue. This is the role of the opposition parties. It's the role of political yes. campaigns. And this the media. Is where these ideas should live. And the media. And I was actually thinking, and how's this for boring? Come a long way from Camilla here. Uh, but this is actually the right time to be talking tax reform. That is the thing that they can actually adjust for us. They cannot affect the price of oil. They cannot affect the price of avocados, Raptors games, beyond them. They can actually leave money in our pockets, and they can actually start to debate. That's what the campaign should be all about in Ontario, the conservative leadership campaign. Why isn't it about a smarter tax system? Well, they're doing that. They're saying, oh, we're going to take off. But they do little things like we're going to take off the gas tax. That's 10 cents, but that's going to be eaten up. People say get rid of the carbon tax. It's 11 cents. Yesterday, folks, I asked the natural resources minister, will you take off the gas tax? He said, look, we're not going to, and one reason only. If we take off the gas tax, then we're going to also stop the rebates for people. So most at this point, the rebate is paying for the gas tax. It might not fully do it in 10 years. The beauty of this idea that I'm having, have it with me. Let's like spread. I like, I do like this idea. This is good. The beauty of it is the fundamental principle is you don't just get to tax and tax and tax. There should be a reason and there should be a dollar. There should be an amount. And after we've hit that amount, a target revenue. Yeah, if we've if we've all sent enough gas tax dollars to Ottawa, magically the next day at the pump, the tax should be gone. And by the way, because then the tar- it makes sense. I don't think taxes should be target revenues just because then there's an incentive to tax and hit targets in, in, in low periods. But I think you're right. Budgets already give us expected revenue. And if you're going to go over your expected revenue, you should return it in a tax. Amanda Lang for Prime Minister, BNN Bloomberg anchor taking stock. That's a darn good idea, Amanda. I like it. Let's keep it going. She likes it. This is, and you're already a politician. It's your idea and you like it. That's the best idea. That is a darn good idea. All right, let's take a break. Uh, We're going to follow the lead. We're going to be live on the ground in Ottawa when the Prince arrives next. Stay with us. That's a smart idea. When important decisions are made, we report. Here's Evan Solomon. So this morning I headed over to the um, National War Memorial, Tomb of the Unknown Soldier, to see Prince Charles and Camilla, his wife, the Duchess of Cornwall, lay a wreath there and pay honor and homage to, of course, the... uh, Canadian war dead. They met with Mary Simon, the governor general. They went to a Ukrainian church. And now they are coming to the Byward Market. Uh, Andrew Pinson, host of CFRA Live on Saturdays and Sundays on News Talk uh, 580 CFRA in Ottawa, is there live. Let's uh, go to Andy. Andy who's working with us today. Just give us a sense of, of what's going on. I know he's minutes away from arriving. What's happening there? Well, we got a lot of more anticipation uh, kind of building up here, Evan. There's uh, probably about 100 or 200 people kind of gathered around here to get a look at the Royals. Uh, they stopped at the cathedral down the way, as you were mentioning, got caught up, I guess, chatting with some people inside. Prince Charles kind of notorious for, for chatting with people. But uh, they're, they're expected to come down here. They're going to make a stop here at Saslov's Meat Market and at the Maple Syrup Stand here in the Byward Market. 
and then kind of make a walk through over to the beaver tail stand and uh, have uh, Ottawa's finest beaver tail, I guess. <laughs> oh, they're going to have a beaver tail. The mayor's there, I know. Uh, but for those people that don't know Ottawa, uh, Saslaz is a great butcher. Absolutely. And I wonder I think you if can they actually online. get anything at Saslaz. Well, I saw them have some maple syrup ready to hand out here, so maybe they'll get some meat samples. I don't know how you carry that around, but... <laughs> yeah, that's great. Now, now he's expected to arrive when? Uh, any moment now. They just kind of tightened up uh, the security perimeter here. As you can imagine, security is very tight. And uh, it's just kind of tightened up here a little bit. And we're expecting our car to arrive by uh, any moment here. The pool is just waiting for their camera shot. So this is a short visit, folks. This is a mere three-day visit. And this is celebrating the Jubilee. There have been reports that people are upset that this is all it is. It's like, like a, he's whipping in and out of the city. Uh, and that's it. I know it's pretty loud there. But um, have you heard our people? I mean, I, when I was there this morning, Andy, it was not a huge crowd. But I wonder if this is a short visit because there's not that much interest. Is it a short visit because there's an Ontario election? Is it a short visit because well, yeah, they're not probably, really interested in celebrating. I don't know. I think there's probably XYZ. There's so much going on in everyone's lives right now, right? And in terms of, you know, the, the pomp and circumstance of, of this visit, it's fantastic. Obviously, there are heads of state to have them busy, but people might just have some other things on their minds right now. But on the, on kind of the, the royal sentiment, everybody here kind of looks like they're, they're kind of happy to see the visit. Nobody really, you know, protesting the thought at all. But uh, definitely everybody kind of in a good mood on that front. So, Kind of welcoming, and maybe people are thinking about the election and gas prices instead, but still a pretty good uh, crowd here down in the Byron Market. Yeah, not not a huge crowd. I think the Queen would obviously have a bigger crowd, but okay. So Andy Pinson's live there. Andy, hang in there. I'm going to go to some of our callers here because, mm-hmm. you know, one eight five five six three three ten ten. I want to take this live if something happens there. One eight five five six three three ten ten. You can talk to me about inflation as well. I mean, it's it's really interesting because uh, there are a whole whack of people who say, "Why are we paying attention to Prince Charles? Why are we paying attention to Camilla when we've got inflation?" Um, Elsie, just drop Andy's uh, Andy's uh, audio there, would you? And we'll pick up Andy when the when the prince comes, uh, just so we, we we lose a bit of that background noise. Um, What's your thoughts on the uh, on the uh, the royal visit? One eight five five six three three ten ten or seven ten ten. Because we want to take that live. Uh, I'm intrigued because we don't get this very often, and it may be that interest is starting to fade, or it may be people are just as excited about this stuff as they always were. Um, and there is a sense, just from my this is my anecdotal. There are people interested in seeing Prince Charles, but not it was not a lot. And and I'll be candid. This is a very meager visit. This is maybe I'll say modest. They've barely done, you know, they've landed in St. John's, Newfoundland. They went to Kitty Vitty, but you know, one day, day two of the royal visit, they come to Ottawa, they do some brief visits, set up few words and the politics will come tonight and the politics are indigenous leaders are meeting with Prince Charles and many of them have told us including the head of the AFN that the Assembly of First Nations they will demand that the Queen and Prince Charles on behalf of the Queen 
apologize for the crown's role as both the head of state and the head of the Anglican Church for the in- residential institutions, what most people call residential schools. I don't, I don't believe they were real schools because my school didn't have a cemetery. My school wasn't burying people in the back when students didn't survive or kids weren't plucked out of their, their, their family, ripped from their family and told they couldn't speak certain languages at my school. What about you? That's an institution. And they were worse. Some of them are torturing kids. So they want an apology. Now, he's talked about reconciliation today. But will he apologize? The answer is no. But that's where tonight, that's where the politics is. Uh, Matt, what's up? You want to talk about inflation? You want to talk about the monarchy while we wait? What's up? Sure. This is government-driven inflation, Evan. I'm in Kitchener, Ontario. All our federal, provincial, municipal fees have gone up across the board 6%. We have a small shop that used to cost us 400 for heating and hydro and water. With a carbon tax, that jumped at $200. We're now paying 600 a month. This is all government-driven. Right. And when we looked at it, and we have to adjust our shop rate, we have to lift our shop rate $10 an hour just to cover off the government fees. And then I'm the bad guy out here because i got to give you the bill. Right. First of all, inflation, you and I agree inflation sucks. And governments are responsible. They take credit for good times. They're responsible for bad times. Here's my question. Is it solely government-driven? I ask you this only because we have an inflation rate of 6.8% now. The European Union, 74 Germany, 7.4. Mexico, 7.7. Spain, 8.3. I'm just saying, 8.3. The U.S., 8.3. The U.K., 9. The Netherlands, almost 10. Brazil, 12. Russia, like, I'm just saying, inflation's going up everywhere. So there's got to be more than just a single government if every single country around the world is experiencing similar inflation rates. Isn't that fair to say? To a certain point, but 80% of the costs that have gone up in the last six months have been come from government fees and government programs downloaded onto us. 20% is the private sector, cost of materials, cost of labor, etc., but it is majority government-driven. Yeah, I appreciate that. I, I mean, again, I as Prince Charles enters here... Uh, Inflation is the big issue. I, I don't, to be candid, there's a, a lot of taxes on gas that is driving things up. But is it all government related? Is it all taxes and fees when you've got uh, the CPI, the Consumer Price Index, um, and foods up 9.7%? I, vegetables, I don't know. Um, Prince Charles has arrived um, at the, I want to continue that conversation. I'm not dismissing it. It doesn't matter. The causes are important, but governments will bear the burden of it. Uh, Prince Charles is in the market now. Uh, and I know Andy's there. We're going to take a short break. He's just arriving now. Um, he's doing a little tour. We'll find out what he actually does as he's just minutes, uh, steps away from our studio right now. The future king of England. Listening to the iHeartRadio Talk Network, and this 
is the Evan Solomon Show. Is this the end of Jason Kenney? Is this the triumph of Doug Ford? What is going on in Quebec? To talk about all that, plus royalty, the Royal War Room is in session. Let me be perfectly clear. Putting out misinformation. And we hear that. Misleading politics. What's really important here. Spreading it online. Unequivocally. The War Room. Sir Thomas Mulcair, CTV political analyst and former NDP leaders, yeah. The Duke himself, uh, Tim Powers, Chairman of Super Strategies, Managing Director of Abacus Data, and the uh, Lord Zane Velge, Political Campaign oh, Strategist, you. Partner at Northweather, formerly worked in Calgary Mayor, Nad Nenshi. <laughs> Welcome all. Greetings, blessings, thank you. Thank you. Welcome all, Lord Duke, Prince. Uh, uh, we are welcoming the monarchy here, and uh, that was my, uh, what sounds more like an Italian accent, probably. Um, here is uh, War Room Welcome. Let's just get an update, because uh, many of you have been in the Byward market, and you just think to yourself, gosh, if I was the uh, future king of England, what better place to be than downtown Ottawa? Beaver tails. Yes, to have a beaver, beaver tail. That nothing, nothing says Canadian cliches like a beaver tail, how far we've come. Here's Andy Pinson is live on scene. Has the, uh, I can't even say this sentence, has the prince had his beaver tail? I mean, he hasn't yet, and I know this is Tim Powers' favorite thing, the, the royal family, so he needs the update right now. But uh, he is only steps away from uh, the Rito Street McDonald's, if you want to think of it that way, too, just in terms of a, a classy visit. But, no, uh, we, we have arrived here. We've stopped at uh, various kind of plant shops along the way. We've stopped at Slapsville Street Market, just kind of getting hounded by everybody uh, for pictures and, uh, and shots and stuff like that. But uh, a pretty healthy crowd here. Still working our way through. It looks like it's going to take a while to get through this crowd. But uh, he's making his way over to get a beaver tail. I don't know. He's probably got like 80 feet to go. I'm guessing it's going to take an hour. Well, that's good, Andy. Let me, Andy, this is probably your first royal uh, coverage. Is that right? Fair to that say? is correct. I don't know if you could tell. No, no. It's just that when you're covering royalty and they pass a McDonald's, you say you don't call it McDonald's. You call it Scottish food. That's what the royalty calls it. Okay. It's part of the United Kingdom. Doesn't he know it? All right. So, it's in the notebook. Yeah, that, that's in the notebook. Now, oh, he's stopped to sample some Scottish food. Uh, Tim, let, let's go to you as, as, a, as, a, as a, he was in your home province of Newfoundland and Labrador. Um, is this like, can Charles breed loyalty to the crown or is it going to are we going to see it start to shake loose well first of all i'm pleased to tell you evan they're going to make you a woolly doppelganger just like charles got in newfoundland we've talked to the artist so one is coming your way you can put that on your mantle oh, <laughs> a woolly i don't i don't even know what a woolly doppelganger is but uh, let me just inform the audience that i'm happily married but i'm still into it <laughs> well it's a it's a, it's a, lo- a lovely mannequin oh um, god I don't self. even know what that means, but I, I will I've been married long enough, maybe it's worth style. It. Yeah. I, I will tweet it out for you uh, afterwards, right. but uh, maybe you can move to somebody else, because I just have a frog in my throat, and then I'll answer your question. All Sorry. Right. Uh, Tom Mulcair, in Quebec, is this, like, is, uh, is this the two solitudes? Well, yeah, all you have to do is look at uh, Mary Simon's trip, trip to Quebec City, where Francois Legault immediately slagged uh, her lack of French the minute he, he had finished his meeting. I mean, you know, it's a completely different place. People want to get rid of the monarchy, but that's been 50 or 60 years that that's a, a common thread in Quebec society. I've, I have to say that I think that in their heart of hearts, most Quebecers, like most Canadians, always found Queen Elizabeth II an extraordinary mm-hmm. human being who deserved the the support and the loyalty and and the respect of everyone um charles i'm not so sure 
you know, Charles and Camilla going around kind of, I, I think that it's such a big turnoff dealing with this guy with everything, all the casseroles that he's dragging behind him. Uh, I think that a lot of Canadians are going to get to the point where they're just saying, okay, it's about time we got rid of this archaic system that's part of our colonial heritage. Let's just get rid of it. And I think that that's going to come probably in the next few years. Out West, Zane, what, what's, the, what's the prevailing view in your view? Well, I have to be careful here because, as I've told you, yes. Evan, I, oh, this I, is I, good. I, this is yeah, so good. good. This is a conflict that, that I do have an official title here in Alberta, uh, being the vice son to the vice regal. My mother-in-law is the lieutenant governor here in Alberta. Uh, Wait, so are I you will actually be... called the vice son? <laughs> yeah, it is. It is a title I'm giving myself. Nice, uh, my office. Because I has like been, that. Uh, it's been, because it's no, been... no one's denied that you've been closely associated with vice, but I didn't know it was now a title. <laughs> I think it's a great title, and I'm going to use this platform to advocate for greater powers for my office. Okay. Um, <laughs> what I will say, you know, the, the ongoing conversations about the role of uh, the monarchy, I think, is fascinating to me. You know, having this intimate perspective with my mother-in-law, I will say, try to make it personal for a second, the work has fundamentally changed from just strict uh, work that is ceremonial to now raw community engagement, especially for vulnerable communities, for First Nations communities. Uh, is it enough to actually, uh, you know, outright change the sentiment? No, but I think is the work being now done more constructively? Yes. Uh, but I feel that that Tom is on to something in terms of the prevailing sentiment that might be a through line with most Canadians, which is I don't see the relevancy here. And I think it's uh, an act now of saying, how does this office become more relevant, uh, even more so than they've been making with strides recently? Tim, I know. Uh, have you wiped your tears away? Can you comment? I, I, I'm trying to pull it all back together, but I, you know, I, I do uh, err on the side of Tom and I do have a bit of Irish heritage, Evan. So, you know, I have to speak to that as well, too. But, you know, the, the visit to Newfoundland, I think Newfoundland is a place you've been there often and everybody here has been there uh, a bit uh, that still has some welcomeness towards the monarchy. Sure. Uh, Charles is not uh, William and not Kate. If they were there, that there'd certainly be a, a great delight for all of them. I tell you what he, his visit did do yesterday uh, in Newfoundland anyway. It showcased local artisans. It showcased local business. And that's good for the economy. But do we have to pay for that on an ongoing business? Uh, would that help? happen elsewhere. I think even in Newfoundland, they're losing their hold. But I agree with Tom at Primit. It isn't just the Irishness in it. I think it's Charles, too. I mean, mm. you have to feel for the guy to a certain degree, uh, given his lot in life, which, yes, many of us will say has been fantastic. But he's always been the heir to the throne and never looked like he'd be the one to, to, to be able to stand in his, uh, above his mother's shadow. By the way, they are uh, they are in the market now as we follow this live, which is sort of absurd. <laughs> so I hope it. they stop for a dollar drink days. Well, this is it. This I, like, mean, I, I, I feel like we're doing live covers like, and now the prince is buying an apple. Like, literally, that's what's <laughs> happening. But anyway, um, how dangerous is inflation, Tom, for politically? Oh, it's very, very dangerous, very real. And politically, it's, it's going to be a huge live wire issue in, first of all, in the the leadership debate, obviously, coming up next week, it's going to be back front and center for the Conservatives federally. It's going to be part of every discussion from now until Election Day in the Ontario general election that's going on. Affordability, inflation. I sent, uh, as a, you know, just so you'd know, I sent uh, everybody in this group uh, a picture of what we were paying for gas in Montreal, 237.9 on De Maisonneuve and Papineau this yeah. week. I mean, that's not a joke. This is yeah. real, you know... You, 
<laughs> I had set the machine, you know, you put your card and say, well, how much do you want? So I put 75 bucks. And I, like, I got a little four yeah, cylinder Yeah, your quarter tank. <laughs> and, and, and it didn't quite make it to, you know, the 75 bucks wasn't enough to, to top oh, it off. So it, this is the real world right now. You know, you buy a bag of groceries, like literally a bag of groceries. You're not buying Philly Mignon and it's a hundred bucks. So people oh, are yeah. really starting to feel it. I talk to people in the business field and people who do organizing for large consulting groups around the business field, and they've never been busier because there are businesses that are getting pummeled right now. They were coming out of the pandemic quite well, but international events, especially if, you're, if you've got anything whatsoever to do with food, whether you're a distributor or a retailer or a manufacturer using grain, the, the war in Ukraine is upsetting world markets right now. And this is just the beginning. This could be serious upheaval. Mm. Janet Yellen, by the way, was on that today in the United States. And I'm hearing echoes of it across Bay Street, but across the country as well. Tim, I got a minute here and then we'll come back to this. Tim, uh, what impact is this having on the the provincial election in Ontario? It doesn't, doesn't look like it's having a political impact. No, no none whatsoever, it seems. It seems like uh, it's been uh, baked in elsewhere, pardon the pun, if it's uh, Ford's uh, gas tax relief plan that's coming, should he be reelected or, or Del Duca's $1 uh, a ride uh, transport, and Andrew Horvath's talking about it, but it doesn't seem to be a big issue. Just very quickly, I know we have 30 seconds. We're seeing that in our beer business, uh, the impact of inflation, more, not just are more people drinking, they're asking us to deliver it to them. They're not driving to pick it up mm, because wow. of the price of gas. And if we're seeing it, I can guarantee other businesses are seeing it as well, too. Uh, okay, well, well, since you're delivering, Tim, let's take a break. We'll get some information to Tim immediately, and we'll come back with the War Room, the latest on the monarchy, and what's happened with Jason Kenney. Helping you through these unique times. This is the Evan Solomon Show. The War Room is back in session as we blast through a lot of political news here. Tom Mulcair is here, so is Tim Powers, and so is Zane Velji. Uh, just last thing, um, maybe I'll go back to the Ontario watcher, Tim Powers. If Doug Ford is still the front runner with two, two weeks left... Uh, there's going to be a new poll out at four o'clock from Nanos. I haven't seen it yet, Tim. I'm just intrigued. Uh, the liberals, do they jump over Andrea Horvath here? I mean, is there a flip now? You're going to see the progressive vote, although it's going to split, that the liberals are going to start widening the distance and, and move up from seven seats. And what does that tell you? Well, it tells you that Andrea Horvath's time is probably done. Uh, she had her chance, I think, last time uh, to, uh, to to win, and she didn't. I don't think it says more more than uh, than what's happening on the left. El Duca's getting some footing. I don't think there's a liberal resurgence, but if uh, there may be some NDP that bleed back into uh, into the liberal uh, into the liberal fold, it's not Del Duca mania by any stretch of the imagination. It's probably a return to a predictable pattern in Ontario, Evan. That you know you do tend to get back-to-back majority governments, Bob Ray the exception, of course, uh, to all of that. But uh, Ontario's very predictable, and I think we're going to see a predictable re-election of, of Doug Ford because he was able to mend his brand uh, after his early first-year foibles and uh, after the pandemic, unlike, say, Jason Kenney, who's got a world of hurt ahead of him, I think. Beautiful segue there. By the way, I've never heard Del Duca mania even as a, as a hypothetical yet. We're putting but... a beer out called Del Duca mania. I bet 
Yeah, it'll be a big seller. A big seller. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's an exclusive limited edition of two <laughs> bottles. Um, Zane, let let pick that up. Tell just tell our listeners the crossroads Jason Kenny is facing tonight and what he needs to do if he can survive. What's at stake here? Well, to to bring in some context, so Jason Kenny's got this leadership review where the fight for his political life is on the line. It was supposed to happen April 9th in person in Red Deer. 15,000 people signed up. It was going to be an overflow capacity. And then they decided to change it, saying this is too many people. We're going mail-in ballot. We're allowing you, uh, even if you haven't registered for this convention, to vote for it. And many have called that, alongside a few other things, which I'll spare folks the details on, (laughs) manipulation. Manipulation of the rules. So what tonight looks like is what we've seen in terms of Jason Kenney uh, is a sense of confidence that he's got this thing. And while you might think he's a magician with the number you see tonight, many are thinking it's a manipulation. So here's what I mean to tell you. If you're watching this from outside of Alberta, you will receive a number tonight for Jason Kenney in terms of what he gets to support. That's just the start of the next chapter here, because this gives you no future in terms of what might happen next. And there's many possibilities, a snap election, a continued infighting. And I don't just mean the weeks ahead. I mean, in the days ahead. So the drama just gets started this evening. It, It doesn't end. So a number in the 60s is great for Kenny, more security. A number in the 50s, it's going to be further turmoil. A number lower than that, and he's gone right away. So many possibilities, many scenarios. The fun just begins this evening. It doesn't I, end. I would say this, and I, I don't know who was uh, wanting to get in, maybe Tom. Uh, I'm stunned that Jason Kenney's already won a victory when people say he can survive in the 60s. He's told me 50 plus one. Most leaders need 80 plus. You know, there are leaders with 77, 75 who have stepped down. And he's so, talking about, oh, I've won with 61. You're not winning with 61, pal. Yeah, and I'll, I'll make one, one point. That's And that's exactly it. He can stick around, buy some time and what what may, may call snap election, get rid of all exactly. the haters, all the haters inside the caucus, inside the party. Even if you even if there's rumors of you going in against him, you're out. I'm not sending your nomination papers. And he doesn't care if it takes him 10 days within a calling an election to fill his slate. At least they're loyalists. So there's many possibilities here for Kenny um, in terms of what survivals Evan could really look like. Tom. Well, I think he's also, I mean, you know, Zane knows his province better than I do, but I've spent a lot of time there, especially after Rachel Notley got elected. But I also watched what happened with Wild Rose. And I can tell you, I think they're underestimating the forces that are with Brian Jean, who, by the way, is, is yep. a real gentleman. I got to know him uh, when, when he was in Ottawa. And I think that talking about a snap election, I think you might talk about the creation of a, the snap creation of a, of a new party. I think that Kenny has proven himself just to be undeserving of the support of his own members. I mean, he's just blown it completely. He's a very, very off-putting character. I, you know, Ken, I worked with this guy for years, Nato, and I can tell you stories about you know, him having a very uncomfortable relationship with the truth. So I, I think that it's obviously going to be up to the members of the party, if it's indeed those people who are doing the voting tonight. But even there, you know, with the investigation by the elections authorities in Alberta, there have been huge clouds over this whole exercise to find out whether it was legitimate or not. I don't think anything's going to be cleared up tonight. I'm with Zane on that one. Tim, what does it tell us? Like, for those people who say, I couldn't give a rat's patootie about uh, Alberta politics, which is too bad because it's actually, it's like, I don't know, it's like going to the Calgary Stampede. I mean, it's always, a, there's a chuck wagon race for the leadership there going on and it's violent. But, but what does it tell you about 
we're in the context of conservatism, a kind of conservatism that's trying to win in Ontario, the kind of united conservatism in Alberta, the, the debate going on in the federal level. What does it tell people who are conservatives about the battle for what it means to be a conservative in 2022? Well, I, I, you could look at Doug Ford and learn the lesson that perhaps pragmatism and more of a common sense, not in the Mike Harris perspective, but in the traditional sense, is maybe not a bad way to govern in a big province, uh, that you learn lessons and you uh, express remorse when you experience it. But I, the, the, unfortunately, right now, there's a closer tie in the way Jason does business and the way Pierre Polyev purports to do business. It's win at all costs. It's fight till the, till the end. That's, that's part of the Harper culture that did help win elections, but hasn't matured to a place where there's an evolution of the way you look at how you govern. And this uh, inability to see the forest for the trees and just to campaign and fight is a dangerous thing for any mm-hmm. political party, and it's problematic for the conservatives because, for example, just hauling in a polyev again, if you are prepared to dig in on your ludicrous theory around the need to fire the bank of the governor of the Bank of Canada because he's responsible for inflation, and you can't back down from that, and this is what's got Jason in trouble in Alberta, not backing down from certain things. That's not a model you want. Governing is yeah. about learning. Yeah. It's not just about holding on to something because all you know how to do is fight and campaign. It's yeah, a mi- well And it's a misnomer to think that if you win every day, you string that together yeah. and you win an election. It, it is. And, and I think that's and that's just a problem that ails not just the, the right, but the left as well, that it's so attractive to try to win over the small Twitterati base every single day and then string that into well, why is no one electing me? Why am I not popular? Because you haven't told a story. You haven't been consistent. And the people that are angry with you haven't paid any attention to them whatsoever uh, before it actually ballooned into it. And that's what ails Jason Kenney here. But it, it certainly could ail other parties. So there's many lessons to be learned about not trying to win the day every day with the most extreme positions that have no recourse or no off ramp. Yeah, that's Tony, why it's well, so interesting to watch watch Ford back away from the Ford that yeah. won four years ago. He was exactly. bull in the China shop. His chief of staff was two bulls in a China shop. He fired that chief of staff, changed his tone, changed his approach. He, when you look at the room, when you look at the two debates, the Northern Ontario debate last week and the general debate this week, this guy is just rising above it. He's, you know, he's not that articulate and none of his complicated stuff really carries the day, but he's able to talk to people in a way that he's putting together, to use Zane's idea, a narrative. He's got a story. Look, this is the Ontario that we want. Yes, we're going to build the 413, but it does this and it does that. The other ones were fighting with each other to slag him and they were all auditioning for roles in opposition. Mm-hmm. And it was quite clear that they were going to win that b- battle. They were all going to wind up in different levels of the opposition. And Ford's just going to take this in a round. Okay. And, and, and yeah, go ahead. Zane, a haiku from Zane, because I want to just, I have another, I got a minute here. Go. Uh, when you punch at everything, people don't notice. They yeah, they just exactly. think that all you can exactly. do is punch. They they have no exactly. sense of your priorities, your issues, or what you're trying to go for. That's exactly what happened to Del Duca and Horvath on that stage as an extension to what Kenny's been doing here in Alberta. Tom, do you have a 20-second elevator pitch of why the rest of Canada should understand Bill 96 and what it is? Quebec already has Bill 21 that overtly discriminates against religious minorities. Bill 96 removes existing constitutional rights for equality for, of English and French before the courts, remove, makes it more difficult to access health and social services in English. It's good old Anglo bashing on the eve of an election. Legault figures he's got no votes to go get there. So he's, the more he beats up on the Anglophone oh. community, 
the more he does well with the Parti Québécois voters right. who will stay with him instead of going back to the PQ. Tom, Tim, Zane. Pay attention to that Bill 96, folks. Lots to come. We'll take a break. Thanks, gentlemen. That was wonderful. From coast to coast to coast, the newsmakers talk here. This is the Evan Solomon Show. I coast to coast to coast that we know of as the great country, maybe the greatest country in the world, Canada. Certainly a country that no other country in the world where I would love to raise my family and be born. So, Canadians, here we are, a constitutional monarchy, getting a visit from the man who will be the future king. Prince Charles is here. He's visiting a school now. Later today, Indigenous um, leaders will meet him and demand, they will demand an apology from the crown as the constitutional head of our state. He is the king of Canada, or he will be after Queen Elizabeth. She is the queen of Canada. And he is, or she is, but he will be the head of the Anglican Church. And they will demand an apology from the crown. So that's going to happen. So that'll get interesting later. But in the meantime today, our parliamentary budget watchdog, just as we speak about crown indigenous relations, that's what this is all about, decided that they were going to study, based on a request, the amount of money that the government has given to Indigenous services, and it's gone up between 2015, 2016 to 2022, 2023. It's gone up. The question is, did it achieve results? And this is what we want to know. Are things actually getting better for the money we've spent? And that, of course, is why Yves Giroux, the parliamentary budget officer himself, is here at a time of high inflation. Um... First of all, uh, Yves Giroux, um, welcome. I know that um, the monarchy's here, so we're barely speaking anything else, but uh, the Duchess, who's now in a classroom. But uh, tell us about your report today and what you found. Sure. So it was at the request of the Standing Committee on Indigenous and Northern Affairs of the House. They asked me and my office to look at the estimates, so the amounts of money that the departments of Indigenous Services Canada and Indigenous Crown Indigenous Relations and Northern Affairs, so the two departments that deal mostly with Aboriginal and Indigenous Canadians, what uh, uh, what their sorry what their estimates and their real spending, how do they compare, and also what are the departmental results indicators, so the indicators of performance that they themselves set for themselves, so the two departments, how do they compare over the years and whether or not they achieve the results that they say that they will achieve. So we looked at that uh, and we looked at the departments, both departments, they tend to underestimate the amounts that they will end up spending, not because they blow their votes or because they they spend more than they should, it's because the government makes provisions without clearly indicating to these two departments what they will be spending it on early in the fiscal year or before the fiscal year. So departments plan on a certain basis. The government gives them or makes provisions in its budgets and then tells them 
after the year has started or shortly, sorry, after the year has started or shortly before it starts. So departments have to scramble to spend all that money, which leads to indicators, departmental results indicators that are not great. In fact, what we found when we looked at the departmental results indicators is that they're changing very, very often. For example, they have a series of indicators that both departments set for themselves, some of which have no date by which to achieve them. So it's it's a bit unusual in the sense that if you say, I will achieve 100% of something, but you don't say by when, it makes it a bit less uh, meaningful if you don't have a date by which you will achieve them. So And, and a lot of other issues with departmental results indicators they change quite often. Um, new indicators get added, others get dropped. Um, the dates, as I mentioned, th- there's no date by which to reach the targets that departmental departments set for themselves. So that's what we found, and that was a bit surprising to find that the results indicators are not consistent and coherent from one year to the other. Yeah, I'm speaking to Yves Giroux, the Parliamentary Budget Officer. You, you write in the highlights over over the 2015-2016 to 2022-2023 period, there's been a significant increase in the amount of financial resources allocated to providing Indigenous service. But this increase in expenditure did not, did not result in commensurate increases in the ability of the organizations to achieve targets they'd set for themselves. It doesn't sound like we're getting value for money because they're, it's disorganized. Well, disorganized is probably an accurate description, at least when you look at the results indicators. And and these results are what departments departments are using to determine themselves and to tell ministers whether they are getting value, achieving value for money, and whether they are indeed delivering on what they should be delivering. So the fact that their results are changing from year to year, and that some of them don't have a date by which they will reach their targets is a bit disconcerting. So it could be due to a couple of things, notably the reorganization of departments that took place in 2017, where the former Department of Indigenous and Northern Affairs was uh, dismantled and, and created into two new departments with other parts added to these new two departments. But but still, it's it's a bit uh, it's a bit surprising that departments would not have a better handle on their results indicators. Um, what does this tell you when you see this? Like for Canadians listening, I mean, this sounds complicated, but it sounds like we're talking about billions and billions of dollars spent to try to get results on a good, good issue. But we're just not getting the results. Is that the government's fault for not providing the right benchmarks? Is that the organizations who are receiving the money, their fault? Like who, who's responsible for this? Well, it's a world where you have bureaucrats suggesting indicators, results indicators to their ministers. So ministers land in a portfolio which is very complex. So former Minister Prentice, the late Minister Prentice, when he was Minister of Indigenous and Northern Affairs, used to say that he was running the 11th province of Canada. And that's the extent of the challenge that is faced, that our, that ministers are faced with. So it's bureaucrats setting themselves targets and changing the targets, uh, not every year, but quite frequently, and even not 
indicating by when they will reach these targets. So I think bureaucrats have a lot to re- account for or to respond to or to 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 be to take some of the blame for these changing targets. Um, and uh, we're talking about close to $40 billion dollars that will be spent this fiscal year on these two portfolios. So it's significant amounts of money. And I think bureaucrats as well as ministers owe it to Canadians to be clear as to the results they will achieve and whether or not they will achieve them. Okay. Um, Yves Giroux, Parliamentary Budget Officer, new report today. Uh, are we getting value for money? Just, just before, do I have one minute? Can you, are you allowed to say anything about this? Infl- are you surprised at the inflation numbers? And, and, and what does that expect to do for the government books? It, it actually pads the government books, doesn't it? That's the tragedy. Yes. Whenever inflation is higher, like we are seeing this morning, it increases the revenues the government is making. Because, for example, if the price of your restaurant meal goes up, there's GST that's charged on that. So GST on a higher amount will be more GST. And that's just one example. So higher inflation means higher government revenues. Of course, there are expenditures that go up for the government as well. But generally speaking, it's a net positive, at least in the short and maybe even in the medium term when inflation goes up, because uh, government revenues uh, go up by more than its expenditures. So it's a it's a net positive purely from the government's perspective. Yeah. If it stays on for a longer period, then that's a totally different yeah. story. It, uh, it has much bigger impacts on the economy that are negative. All right, Yves uh, Giroux, only the government is saying, yeah, we like inflation. Yves uh, Giroux, Parliamentary Budget Officer, thank you, sir. A pleasure. Okay, we're going to take a break. We're going to go to the Calgary Stampede. Why? Extreme Foods, the director of the Calgary Stampede programming, is going to talk to us about, don't, is this a mac and cheese Sunday? How disgusting is this stuff? Oh, you'll find out. It's disgusting. through the changes. Here's Evan Solomon. If you ever get a chance to go to the Calgary Stampede, do it. But if you ever get a chance to eat some of the extreme food there, think about it. And I only say that when we came across a story, like they always have extreme foods at the Calgary Stampede. Cajun fried cheese curds. Sure. Crazy tongue pizza. Mm, That features an Alberta cow tongue. My dad would like that. He would have loved that. Okay, I get it. But a craft dinner soft serve, what? A soft served ice cream made by craft dinner? Then you got to call Kyle Russell. He's the director of Stampede Programming. And you got to get Kyle on the line and say, what the hell are you up to? And Kyle's on the line. Well, what the hell am I up to? Hi, Evan. What nice the to, hell nice are you to chat with you? I, <laughs> I love it, man. I have my Calgary Stampede white hat in my I occasionally take it out. It, it really only looks good when you're there because you get the what you get white hatted when you go to the Stampede, right? The first time. Definitely, we love to white hat visitors when they come to Calgary and come to the Calgary Stampede. Tell us about the extreme food. There's a lot going on there, but let's focus on the stomach uh, first. Uh, what are the extreme foods this year? <laughs> 
Well, this year we have something for everyone. We always like to challenge our vendors to come up with something unique to the Calgary Stampede. Uh, some of the items that we know are getting a lot of attention already. The the craft dinner soft service definitely uh, it seems to be a fan favorite so far. But we've got some other. Uh, Don't cookies. gloss over it. Hold on. Hold on. <laughs> no one knows what the heck you're talking about. Okay, let's talk about that. The craft dinner soft serve. Tell us what this is. Basically, if you can think of what craft uh, dinner tastes like and the uh, the creamy coolness of soft serve and the texture of it, that's what it is. It, it's a it's a flavor combination and a texture combination that's unlike anything else you've ever tried. It's like when you go to the the ice cream truck, folks, and you get that soft serve ice cream that swirls around. Hey, vanilla. Maybe you cover your vanilla with chocolate. Maybe you get a chocolate one. But this is a craft dinner one. <laughs> You got it. It seems so disgusting. (laughs) Have you tried it? I have not tried it yet myself, but I'm looking forward to it. And it is, you know, part of it is the uh, the flavor combination, but it's also the experience. I mean, where else can you try craft dinner soft serve? And this is a great reason to come visit right. the Calgary Stampede. You're not gonna, you're not gonna uh, find this anywhere else in Canada. Now, is it may? Like, believe me, I want to try this. And I might like my son would be there. Like he'd get on a plane tomorrow. He's, <laughs> he's actually flying to Edmonton soon. Uh, and I'm like, you should stop off. Uh, let me ask you something. Is it made from Katie or is it like ice cream with flavor? It is like an ice cream with flavor, but I'm not, to be honest, I'm not totally intimate if there is any KD into it. Um, I, it won't be where you bite into it and there is noodles in it. We've had that question before, but right. uh, it is the flavor of it, the flavor combination of Kraft Dinner and the, the wonderful texture of, uh, of soft serve. <laughs> okay, well, that is a hit. Okay, what is Crazy Tongue Pizza? Crazy Tongue Pizza is exactly what it sounds like. So uh, uh, Crazy Tongue Pizza... Um, basically we, we, we have a vendor who loves to have crazy pizza and, uh, this year their, their creation is, uh, braised AAA Alberta cow tongue on top of a pizza. So, um, it's a great Alberta beef product and, uh, something again, you're not going to find anywhere else in Canada this year. So it's got mozzarella cheese, tomato sauce, pineapple, caramelized Mm -hmm. onions, Baja Chipotle drizzle and cow tongue. So the pizza tastes you at the same time as you taste the pizza. (laughs) Definitely. So it's an experience for the pizza as well as for the the diner. (laughs) The pizza's like, and you get their tongue. So so what, what does that taste like? Uh, it's it, exactly how it sounds. So these pizzas, um, like the the pizza vendor uh, is really keen on making sure that this is uh, a culinary experience. So while it is a crazy experience, you know, um, you might try uh, this crazy tongue pizza and realize that, hey, you know what? Alberta cow tongue is something that I need to add into my, uh, into my kitchen more frequently. So that one um, is both the experience and the, the, the culinary fare that you're going to enjoy. I will tell you this. My father... Uh, who passed recently, but he used to eat tongue, cow tongue. He liked it. He never got us to like it. Like, I was like, Dad, (laughs) it's not happening. Because it was, like, all gray, but people like it. He liked it. Oh, yeah, and definitely, Evan. I'm sure if you tried this, uh, it might make your father really happy, and and you might become a a cow tongue fan. I got (laughs) it. You know what? The truth is I would do it now. I would 100% do it. Okay, what else is on the menu? 
Well, one of the items that we're pretty excited about are a couple, or a couple items that we're really excited about are some hot dogs. Uh, we have a, a cricket hot dog and a mealworm hot dog, which are definitely an experience you're not going to get anywhere else. Um, crickets and mealworms. Okay. It's well, Okay, what are these? I would encourage anyone to take a look on our website because we do have some some uh, good photos of it. But the the mealworm hot dog and the cricket hot dog, um, when you bite into it, you will see uh, both of these in the hot dog itself. So the mealworm hot dog will have uh, uh, some, uh, some worms in it and then also, uh, crickets as well. So this is definitely an Instagrammable moment. It's something you're probably not going to try any, any other time in your life. Um, but yeah, all beef hot dogs with a couple, uh, new protein sources. Okay. But hang in there. You'd bite into a hot dog and there's a worm in there. Mm -hmm. Why? Why? What is that? Isn't that gross? No way. It's definitely, and these, these are great uh, protein sources and they are delicious. Um, and it is, it's, it's, is there it's a worm serious. taste? Is there like, like, I feel like it's like, you're not only getting uh, the Calgary stampede, it's like you're getting Dune. You get to eat the worm. <laughs> well, um, if you, if you do want to find out what worm tastes like, like I would encourage you to come down to the park and we'll definitely hook you up with a couple of these hot dogs. Cause uh, they are, they are delicious. Like it, um, with all these foods, we do want to make sure that it is a, a wonderful experience and it is a delight to the tongue. And of course, um, you know, food tastes are, are up to everyone to yeah, enjoy yeah. on their own, but, uh, we really, we, all these foods are, are quite delicious and they are going to be someone's, uh, someone's taste who comes to the stampede this year. I was years ago reporting in the Philippines and I did have a plate of fried crickets. That was part of the delicacy in the Pampanga region where I was, re- and, and I, and it tastes like chicken, but it was a plate of crickets. Have you eaten the crickets? They weren't, I've eaten the crickets. Oh yeah, I've eaten crickets too. Like, and they they are quite like it's it. I think it's almost the uh, the idea of eating something like that is um it, it, it's what you really need to get over as opposed to your tongue getting over it. It's uh it they they are quite delicious if you uh, if you cook them right. I tell you, the more and more as you talk, I'm going back to the craft dinner soft sell as as as, as, <laughs> as like the best thing. So okay, anything else on the menu? There's so. By the way, folks, we're kidding around. There's a million reasons to 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 visit the Calgary Stampede. There is honestly not a, a better event you'll ever go to in your life. You'll enjoy it. The people are fantastic, but the food is really fun. I love this stuff. Any other extreme foods? Yeah, I would say that there's a lot of food that we're, we're pretty excited about that might be uh, for someone who's just looking for a new culinary experience. Like we have deep fried strawberries, we have cookie dough donut ice cream, we have um, even uh, like something called a duck pond lemonade, which is pretty cool. I saw this yesterday. It's a, a three liter jug of lemonade that has a rubber ducky floating on top of it uh, filled place. with, with uh, babas. So it's, it's a really cool experience. Um, we've also got our classic food on offer, so there's no better yeah. place to get mini donuts or corn dogs yeah. or cotton candy to uh, experience and, everything you love about and, the Stampede. And a pancake for breakfast and a burger, as always. Kyle Russell is the director of Calgary Stampede Program. Hey, good luck, man. We need. I wish the whole world could come there. We'd get along a bit better, have a good time, and, and realize what uh, good folks there are all over the place. If you can get to the Calgary Stampede in your life, folks, do it. It's great. Kyle, awesome. Thank you, sir. That was great. Hot dog with worms, though? That's a bite too far for me. See you on PowerPlay.